First Thessalonians chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter two. We're going to begin at verse thirteen. I want to remind you too that right after worship service, we do have a prayer meeting for those of you that might like to stay and pray for some of the concerns of our local church. You're invited to do that. We would cherish your attendance. Okay, First Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. The title of our sermon is "Where is it, Brother Mark? Can you get up the title of our sermon?" When your world is turned upside down. And that goes back to the book of Acts chapter 17 when Paul went into the city of Thessalonica and the commotion that was caused by the apostles bringing the gospel, starting in the synagogue and spreading the word. It says that many of the Corinthians, they heard and they turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. That's the power and effects that the gospel had. In the report that was given about Paul and his comrades as they were preaching the gospel, it says in Acts 17, verse 6, These are they which have turned the world upside down, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Another king. When Christ becomes the king of your life, your life's... gospel turns the world right side up. So we at one time were like these people. We were upside down. But the gospel turns us right side up. Let's read now 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. And let's all stand while we read, while I read the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. You may be seated, and may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I have something to say to you. Hey, is it anybody's birthday today? Raise your hand. Whose birthday's today? Oh. No? Okay. Whose second birthday is it today? Jillian, when was your birth date? You had given us a date. February, what was it? Did you mention a date that you had as a date of your birthday? Spiritual birthday. All right. It was a date I thought I heard her say. Uh, uh, does anyone else have a date of a second birthday? Right? Okay. Maybe you do have a specific date. Scripture tells us that you must have a second birth. One birth is not sufficient. You need a new birth, right? You need to be born again. You know, one of the missions of the sending out of the apostles was for the hopes and prospects that people would hear. Because the Scripture says in Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The commission was, how shall they call on Him on whom they have not believed? How are they going to believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach except he be sent? 
How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So then the next question is, who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? When the gospel is presented, some believe, it says in the book of Acts, and some believe not. Praise God, some here believed. And that's why Paul could begin in verse 13 and say, we also thank God constantly for this. For this what? That they received the word of God and they became children of God. They were born of God and had faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was so excited about the gospel and how, it, how miraculous it works in the lives of people and how many were being converted. He was sent out to the Gentile world. Here he's a Jew, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, grew up in a rabbinic school, and he only has ever addressed Jews. Christ commissions to go out to the Gentile, and it's, he says, and they will hear you. Well, Paul experienced the hearing from the Thessalonians when they heard the message of salvation. Paul, in his travels along with his fellow apostles, was sometimes challenged by believing Jews who were trying to put the new believers under the law and saying that they had to be circumcised and they had to keep the law of Moses. So there was a controversy in the early church at times over what was really the doctrine of salvation. And Paul, on his way down to Jerusalem for a council to discuss this matter, it says that they stopped in Phoenicia, and I believe it was also in Samaria, and it says in Acts 15, 3, and they told of the conversion of the Gentiles, the news brought great joy to the believers. So when Paul's coming and visiting the churches, he's reporting to them what has transpired in the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world, that many had believed, and they were rejoicing. You know, it says about one sinner that repents, what happens? Not anything only on earth, but also in heaven. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Just think of that. What must that be like? Joy is in the presence of the angels of God who are in the presence of God over sinners who repent. Just think that must be amazing for angels to have a reaction like that over the conversion of people here in this world. How about you and I? What kind of joy do we have over the conversion of a loved one, a child, a cousin, a neighbor, a friend, or someone who you hear receives the gospel of Jesus Christ? If there's joy in the presence of the angels of God, in God's presence, how much more should it not be with us? if we only would realize the realities and the impact that the gospel does in the life of a person who hears and believes and obeys the gospel. For those that have, praise God, you have been turned upside right, right? We were once upside down, but the gospel turns us upside right. You see, you see things differently. Do you ever stand on your head and you look at, or you're on a swing and you're upside down? Ask the kids. I'm sure they've experienced that. The world looks different from that vantage point. Praise God, it all is different for us that have been born again. Have you been changed? Be sure you have. Paul was saying, we constantly are rejoicing over this. 
Why? Because that when you received, he says in verse 13 here, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. You know, the word of God is in the words of men. The scriptures are really, or the words of God, are incarnational. What I mean by that is when Paul preached and others preached the gospel, there was both the divine and the human in action. Divine in the sense that the word of God is 100% of God and it's said in 100% in the words of men. So when the gospel is preached and people hear it in a way that it's not just merely the words of men, but they see that it's the word of God, then it has that transforming power in their lives. And if you've been saved, it's because of the transforming power of the word of God. They receive the word of God, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. That's what it actually really is. And when it's received, it it does miracles in your lives. You see, salvation is of the Lord from first to last. One is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is God who drew us, John 6, 44, who gave us repentance, Acts eleven eighteen, enabled us to believe, Philippians 1, 29, called us, Romans 8, 29, predestined us, Romans 8, 30, elected us, 1 Peter 1, verse 2, chose us, Luke 10, 20. Yet at the same time, man has a responsibility to heed the invitation in his charge with the duty to seek, Isaiah 55, 6, to believe, Acts 16, 31, call upon the Lord, Romans 10, 13, repent, Acts 3, 19, to come, Matthew eleven twenty eight, to follow, John 8, 12, to deny and take up your cross, Luke 9, 23, enter in, John 10, 9, Obey, Romans 6, 17. You see, all the glory belongs to God, but all the duty belongs to man. All the glory belongs to God. You are what you are by the grace of God. You're a child of God because of His mercy. You take, and I take, no credit, and we just give all the glory and praise to God for His matchless grace in saving us. You see, the word regenerates. And it also operates when it generates. Now, you might not be sure about when you were saved. Some could raise their hand and they had an actual date. For some, it might be more of a time period. But in one, one way, we could sort of describe it like this. If we had a corpse and just put that body right here on the floor, and I took this table and turned it upside down and put this on that body, that dead body, there would be no feelings. There would be no pressure, no hurt, no, no nervousness or anything of that sort. There's no feelings there. But if I could possibly inject that corpse with something that would produce life instantly in that corpse, what would the first thing that that corpse would want to do now that it has life? It wants to get the weight of that desk off of their chest See, when conversion begins in your life, sin now becomes a reality. 
like this desk on your chest. You want to remove it. You want to be freed from it. You want that bondage to be history. And you want to be new. It's a radical change when you think of it, of what we were. It says of the Thessalonians, previous to Paul's coming, that they were worshipers of idols. And then when they got saved, it says they turned from idols to the living God. Now, before you were saved, you had idols. If you don't believe it, you're a liar and you don't understand it. But we were all idol worshipers. We had idols in our life. And when the Lord changed you and saved you, you became a lover of God and your idolatry began to wane and you found a better hope and a better thing to trust in and that was the almighty God that is a life-giving God. Hallelujah to that. They received the word of God, the word of man as the word of God. Let's look at this slide up here. If I can get up the next slide. Um, Let's see here. Nope, keep going, keep going. Well, it's 2 Thessalonians 3 1. Do you have the next slide? No. All right. Well, it says in 2 Thessalonians 3 2, rather, pray for us that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Just as it, there we go. Thank you. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be on. Oh, good, I quoted it right. And (laughs) just as it was with you, how did we receive the word of God? Some people spurn it. Some people despise it. Some people don't want to hear it. Some people might hate it. But the Thessalonians, Paul is commending them that they had honored the word of God. That's why today I had asked everybody to stand. We're going to listen to God's word. I remember one time, I think I was a freshman or sophomore going into college, preseason football. Uh, we, we, went, we would get on campus early. And uh, I had started to read the Bible, and I was getting interested in spiritual things. The Lord was working in my life. And someone had said, hey, there's a, there's a bunch of monks that are on campus, and they're having a retreat. And there's one particular monk. You, got, you need to go and visit with him. And I, t- I did. I went to his dormitory room, and I knocked on the door, and I just said, uh, I heard about you. Can we get together and talk? He said, sit down. He said, we're going to open up the Bible. We opened up the Bible. He says, you start to read. And I believe it was Psalm 40. I'm not positive of that. I started to read, and he said, stop right there. You're going too fast. There's no reverence in what you're reading. Maybe he was a born-again man. I trust he may have been. But the reverence, and it really kind of went through my soul. And, you know, we don't, I don't think, appreciate what we hold in our hands, what we read, what we believe. These things are awesome. This is a great book. Man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Job says, I have esteemed the words of thy mouth more than my necessary food. David said, much more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Wow, what kind of reverence do we have for the word? The Thessalonians are commended because they received the word of God honorably, honorably. There was a guy when I used to preach on the Worcester Common, there was a fellow, 
forget his name. They actually named a bridge after him in the city. He was some kind of city councilman or something. But he would, he would come up next to me. He would take his hat off, put it over his chest as I'm reading and preaching out of the word. His first name was Tom. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. An older man. And I said, wow, that's very respectful. How honorable that is. He's giving respect to the scriptures, to the word of God spoken. These aren't ordinary things that we talk about. This is something supernatural, super special. It's God's word. It regenerates. It gives life. Verse 14, for you brothers became imitators. Why? Because a life change had happened to them. They became what they weren't before. They've become now. They're imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Where's Judea? Judea would be the, the area of Israel that Jerusalem was. And there were churches that were established in, you could call it maybe the province or the territory of Judea. And what happened in Judea? The Jews were persecuting the churches of Judea. These were their own countrymen. They were fellow Jews who became messianic believers, believers that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And because they confessed that, they were heavily persecuted. They were viewed as a sect. They were believed to have heretical views because they believed that Jesus Christ was king, that he was Lord, that he was the anointed one of the Father. He was the Son of God. He was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That was very offensive to an unbelieving Jew. So the churches of of Judea received heavy persecution. Likewise, in Thessalonica, they too are receiving heavy persecuting. So they are imitators of the churches of Judea. And in verse chapter 1, verse 6, it tells us that after they received the word with power and with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, they what? Became imitators of me, Paul says, or of us, meaning Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and of the Lord. So there's three imitators that are mentioned in chapter 1 and 2. They became imitators of the Lord, They became imitators of fellow apostles, believers, and then they became, as a church, fellow imitators of the churches of Judea. What is the point here? I think the point that's being made is, this is no surprise. This is common among the believing community. We are not acceptable. And the church shouldn't be acceptable in a world that's at enmity with God. Right? I think we're feeling it more and more in America. The Christianization of America has dwindled. It it doesn't even exist in many places. Christians are not... This is a great time for us to shine, though. As the darkness sets in, the lights get brighter. You know, we are... The church is the pillar and ground, the foundation of the truth. Let us shine for Him. Let us be imitators of the Lord of fellow believers and of the churches like in China. There's a brother who's a missionary in China, Brother Ray Martin. We've had him here before. He sends me from time to time videos, actual footage of what's going on in the underground churches because they can't be public and how they're getting broken in and how women are getting beaten and pastors are getting whipped and all of this. This is real stuff going on. That's the world of humanity that we live in. 
It's the animosity that is expressed towards God and towards his people. And we can't and shouldn't be surprised if we become the objects of that. Look at verse 15. It says, who both, these are the Jews now that he's referring to, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. Let's stop there for a minute. Killed both the Lord Jesus. You know, when Mel Gibson was making the movie on the Passion movie, and there was a preview of it before it went public, and he was heavily criticized politically because there were passages in it that were in the movie of, uh, of quotations from the Bible that made it look like the Jews were guilty of the death of Christ. And because of the political pressures, he was forced to have to eliminate that from the movie. But let's look at what the scripture says on that. If I can, or we can get that next. There we go. Here are verses right out of the scriptures. All the people answered, that's the Jews here, his blood is on us and on our children. Acts 2.36. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. That's Peter speaking on the day of Pentecost. And he's referring to his Jewish countrymen whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. Keep reading on. You own the Holy and Righteous One. You disown the Holy and Righteous One and ask that a murderer that would be Barabbas to be released to you. You killed. Who's you? The Jews killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Acts 3, 14 and 15. And then Acts 5, 30. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Three very clear examples in the Bible of them being guilty of killing Jesus. You killed, you killed, you killed. And here in Matthew 27, when Jesus was possibly going to be released by Pilate, and he washed his hands and says, I am clean from the blood of this just man, their response was, his blood be on us. We'll take responsibility for the death of Christ. But it's not just the Jews, but here the concentration is on the Jews. Just to balance this off properly, can we get the next slide up? The government officials killed Jesus. This is from 1 Corinthians 2, 7. We declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden, that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Who is they? This would likely be referencing Herod and Pontius Pilate. And Caiaphas, you could say, could be included in that. But primarily it's referring to the Gentiles who were the government officials and authority at the time and were able to finalize that Jesus must and should be crucified. They are guilty as well. But Paul is concentrating on, remember, the persecution that the churches in Judea are getting. And they are the ones who killed the Lord Jesus. That's going to be what's on your plate there in Judea. And it's going to be as well for those in Thessalonica as well. Now, thirdly, about the death of Jesus, the hymn writer said, And can it be? that I should gain an interest, interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain. For him who him, for me, for him, for, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? 
I needed Christ's death to die for me so that I could have life with God and that I could be a new creation. He died my death. Jesus says, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and dies, it will die alone. But if it dies, it will bring forth much fruit. It was necessary that Jesus die for you and I to be able to live. So in a sense, we could say that it was our sins that brought him to the cross. It wasn't the nails that they put in his hands that kept him there. It wasn't the words of Pilate or Herod or the Jews that said, away with this man, crucify him, give us Barabbas. What kept him on the cross was the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave. That giving was there on the cross. That is the pinnacle of love. Greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. And you and I are those friends that Jesus laid down his life for. No wonder we should be singing, when I survey that wondrous cross on which the Lord of glory died, my richest gains I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my life, my all. If he died for me, it's a small thing for me to want to live for him. Isn't that the case? That's how it should be. Now Jesus, it goes on to say here in uh, 15 of 1 Thessalonians 2, it says, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. Remember Jesus, when he was coming into Jerusalem at the final time, he looks over the city, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathered her chicks under her wings, and you would not. I left something out there. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets and killest them which are sent unto thee. Jesus himself is laying the guilt right at their feet and saying, You killed those whom God sent to you. You stoned the prophets. Talk about a stiff-necked people. But let's be careful here and not assume that the Jews are some kind of nasty people of the peoples of the world. We are made of the same stuff. If you and I were in the land of Israel at the time, Jew or otherwise, we would have said to away with this man. We don't want this man to reign over us. The Jews happened to be the people that God was using as a sample of all peoples of the earth, that their voice was our voice. We were in the same genetic lineage as they were. Now Paul goes on to say, and he drove, and they drove us out. They drove us out. Paul experienced that, that in Thessalonica. They drove us out. There's about nine references. I went through the book of Acts and noticed there were nine different times when the Jews had thrust Paul out and his apostles, they were, they, were, they were viewed as enemies and they were treated maliciously. Paul says of the Jews, I received 40 lashes. I was beaten three times and was stoned by the Jews. Now, isn't this ironic that Paul was the number one arch enemy of the Christians? He was the great persecutor. He was the one that wanted to haul them from long distances back into Jerusalem and have them tried and killed even in Jerusalem. Here he goes on the road to Damascus, many miles away, to go hunt them down. 
And on route there, God miraculously intervenes in a great light above the brightness of the new day. Sun shines upon him, and a voice says, I am Jesus whom you persecute. And he says, Lord, what would you have me to do? My feet are ready to run to kill the Christians, and now you're putting new shoes on me, and I've got to run with them, not against them. I'm going to join them. As a matter of fact, when he goes to Damascus, those who he went to persecute, he's praising God with. And when he was going on the behalf of the Jews, it was the very Jews that drove him out, and he had to escape craftily out of the city of Damascus for safety purposes. What a turnaround in the life of Paul. And it goes on to say in verse 15, about the Jews, they displease God and they oppose all mankind. They oppose all mankind. How? By hindering us. We have the gold. We've got the good news. We got the best. We want to preach and present the good news that God loved the world, that Christ died for the ungodly, that Jesus bore the sins of many on his own, in his own body in the tree, and God raised him from the dead. But they were hindering us from what? Speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. It wasn't appropriate for the Jews to, to want to have Gentiles included in the spiritual family of gods. And as far as the Jews were concerned, they looked at the Gentiles as dogs. They were outcasts. They were despised. They were not a part of the covenant community and had nothing to do with Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were offended when Paul is a teacher and preacher of the Gentiles. That was Saul of Tarsus, who was a Pharisee of a Pharisee. He was learned in all of the wisdom of Gamaliel, in all the rabbinic studies. He was a Jew of the Jews. He was supreme in his learning. And yet now he becomes a mighty vessel in the hands of the Lord to preach the gospel to the Gentiles that he sent. You would think that Paul should have gone to the Jews because he says, they'll know me, Lord. And he says, no, they won't. They won't receive your testimony. I'm going to send you far hence unto the Gentiles. They will receive you. That is the message that you're going to be presenting to them. So when it says, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, could indicate or could be interpreted as meaning like, oh man, if I don't preach the gospel to them, they're not going to get saved. We alluded to that in Sunday school this morning. Do you ever feel like, oh man, I should have... Somebody you know, a relative or a neighbor or a friend or somebody dies and you say, oh, I never got the gospel to them. I never said a word about Jesus to them. And you feel guilty in those passages that say that, you know, his blood will be on your hands and, you know, you're, 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 you take the responsibility for this person's uh, demise of going to hell. Rid that from your mind. Don't rid the idea of being evangelistic and witnessing frequently and often wherever you can. Of course not. But don't think that God is going to miss out on any one of his chosen people that were chosen in eternity. That's a consolation. It's not something that I want to take advantage of so that I can relax my evangelistic efforts or your evangelistic efforts. That's not the intent. Paul said, I become all things to all men by all, that I might by all means save some. 
Yet at the same time, he says that God sent me to gather in the elect. God is not going to miss any of his elect people. Praise God for that. No one's going to get missed. No one's going to, oh, uh, sorry, didn't get to you. No, that's not what's going to happen. You see, what is meant here is that the prospect or the potential of God's saving grace for the Gentiles was being prohibited. There was a stoppage that the Jews were trying to place on the ministry of the gospel presentation by Paul and the apostles. They wanted to hinder it, to prevent it from going forth. That message that goes forth is one that has saving power, and they wanted to prevent it. They could not stop God from saving whosoever he wills, but their intent was to try to stop the whole program of gospel evangelism in the world. These three or four simple verses here, are they not powerful? And you know, it concludes by saying here in the very end, the last verse, hinders us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Now, the wrath, what is this wrath? Commentators have no, no dogmatism on what this particular wrath is. What has come upon them? This isn't a post-70 A.D. epistle where we could easily say, yeah, the temple's been destroyed. Not one stone's laid upon another. The people are scattered. Many of them have died. The city's been burnt. Yeah, that sounds like a, one way that they receive wrath to the uttermost. But no, that's not what I think is, is meant here. That they are getting their due. They are, they've rejected the gospel collectively. Now, of course... Let, let's get this straight, too. Uh, when you think of Christianity launching, when it first launched, guess what? It was comprised of all Jews. That Christianity was Jewish people that were saved. Uh, one, one lady, one time, I was giving out gospel tracts. She may have heard me say this. And I went to give her something. She knew I was a Christian, giving out Christian literature. She said, uh-oh, no, no, thank you. I'm Jewish. I said, yeah, so am I. <laughs> Blonde hair, green eyes. I am one, too don't have a hook nose, I don't know, whatever, I, would, I pass, <laughs> sorry, but, I mean, I just didn't have that image that I looked Jewish to them, to her, and, and she looked at me like, I said, yes, I am, I am a spiritual offspring of Abraham's, Abraham is my father, because didn't he have the promise in Genesis, I will make you a father of many nations, I said, I'm one of those people of the nations that the Lord has saved, and I have the same faith as Abraham. Therefore, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a true Jew inwardly. How about you? She had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> she didn't know what I said. I hope something may be registered down the road, and I might read the Bible. But that's the fact that early Christians were Jews circumcised inwardly, not outwardly. That profits nothing. It's a new man that profits. They are the genuine Israel of God, Jew or Gentile. They are the new Israel of God. If you want to hear more of me on that, I'll be on radio actually this week, on that very subject, is the church Israel. But we'll leave that at that. But wrath has come upon them at last. You know, God is just. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the Flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. God didn't let them slip away. 
God didn't ignore this. Wrath came upon them. Now, it wasn't God's direct, specific judgment from heaven, but calamities that may have been occurring in the lifespan of the Jews of that day for their opposition to the gospel being presented to the Gentile world. Aren't you glad that the gospel reached you? Think of it. How did the gospel get to you? Who brought that to you? How did you happen? Did you? I think Wally was saying that he turned the radio on one time and he switched channels and something came up about Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by gracious aid through faith. He says, what's that all about? He says, I'm going to look that up. I don't think that's in the Bible. He went home and opened up the Bible and sure enough, it was there. So how God reaches us, praise God, in his miraculous ways, he worked differently in your lives, in Jillian's life, and all these different circumstances that, that we have in our, in, 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 on our agenda, in our window. God somehow is able to reach us. You know, it's a good thing to contemplate how did God save you? What was the instruments and means that he used to bring the gospel to you? And you know, b- b- the bottom line is you received the word of God honorably. You have honored the Lord and honored God's word. And they go together. There's no receiving Jesus without receiving the word. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Uh, You receive the word of God not as the word of men but as it is in truth. The word of God which effectually works also in you that believe. You know, sometimes people get saved. You could say it's sort of like spontaneous generation. Instantly. But others, it's more like how a butterfly begins in the cocoon and then it develops and grows and finally it breaks out of that cocoon and is able to fly. Sometimes Christians have that sort of personal history in their conversion experience. It was more like that of the butterfly than a spontaneous generation, like it was with my wife who had no religious background whatsoever, Hardly went to church until she was 14. She basically evacuated the church. Uh, okay, let's be truthful here. Uh, uh, Jillian told her her problems. Now I'm going to... Sh- uh, uh, no. So, but she knew nothing about the Bible at all. And she came to a gospel kind of Bible, informal Bible study. She heard about Jesus' blood, about Jesus dying on the cross, and about that she was a sinner and she needed to be saved. And she could not see herself that night as a sinner. And you know the story I had to drop her. I said, I can't be dating a, a non-born-again believer. I've got I've to be with a child of God because I want to be united spiritually with somebody. Well, we had to break up that night. I had to let her know. But the next day, she woke up thinking not about the breakup. Hey, there's other Garys out there and better than him, no <laughs> doubt. But she woke up thinking about what she heard the night before by a 75-year-old man that was presenting the gospel around a kitchen table, telling her that she's a sinner, she needed to be saved. And she's thinking about this, and suddenly, talk about spontaneous generation, she visualizes, almost like it's literally there, Jesus hanging on the cross, bleeding and dying for her. And tears were rolling down her cheek. I'll have to have her tell her testimony sometime, (laughs) rather than me. That spontaneous generation... Either way, you may have lost your wedding ring, but you know that you're married, okay? You may not be able to clearly describe your conversion testimony, but you can say, and this is the bottom line, I know 
whom I have believed. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Be very sure that you have honored God, honored his word, and trusted Christ. If you haven't, what's the problem? What's the delay? What hinders you from believing in Jesus Christ as the one who suffered as a substitute for a sinner like you? If you are uncertain about that, I want to strongly beseech you and beg you, trust him, believe on him. Even now, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was said 2,000 years ago by John the Baptist. That echoes right down to our current generation that if you would behold him, one, one, face one look at Christ, one heart-believing glance at him can set the sinner free. There's life in the look at the crucified one. When the serpent was lifted up in the pole and all the people that were bitten by poisonous snakes and were about to die, that's all they had to do was to look, look, and live. That's all one has to do here if you're not saved. Look at the cross, behold a lamb. Never a man suffered like that man. And do you believe in your heart that he died for you? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the scripture says. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the 